Hey everybody, this is Jamie Nunley, lead pastor of Victory Fellowship Church. Thanks for listening to the VFC Sermon Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download our free VFC Thomasville app, where you can access all of our messages, sermon notes, announcements, and small group lessons. This app is the easiest way to keep up with everything going on here at VFC. So please enjoy the following sermon. We hope it encourages you in your walk with Jesus and helps you to belong, believe, and become. Enjoy. Well, good morning. Are y'all glad you're here? Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. So good to be in the presence of the Lord, in the presence of like-minded believers where we can gather together and and hang out together and enjoy one another. Uh, I see all the Christian t-shirts. Christian t-shirt Sunday is something we've done here at VFC for years. Uh, I actually took a poll. We have a private uh, VFC family Facebook page. If you're not a part of that, let let me know. We'll make sure you get the invite. Uh, We we have a lot of people who follow us on Facebook. We want the actual family where we can communicate. I did a poll about which shirt uh, to wear this morning, and this one, careful or you'll end up in my sermon, uh, won the poll, and so uh, so that was not my first choice. My first choice was probably a little inappropriate for church, <laughs> which is usually the case, if I'm being honest. Uh, we do this series called This Is My Story Every Summer. I think this is the fifth or sixth summer that we've done this. Um, and what we do is about half the time, I'm going to tell you different stories of people uh, in Scripture. So maybe sometimes people that you don't know very well. Uh, and then the other half of the time, you're going to hear from VFC family members, from people who attend and are part of this church, and hear what God has done in their life. Now, don't worry. Some of y'all got real nervous. If You will not be asked to tell your story if you haven't already been asked at this point. Okay, These were decided way, way before in advance who would be sharing and all that. So don't worry. I'm not going to call you up randomly. Um, so, but... This is so much fun for me. I love this series every year because it's cool that we get to hear other people's stories. You know, I I don't really like the term testimony. Brother, what's your testimony? It just sounds kind of religious, you know, to me. But I like the word story. Why? Because your life is a story. Whether you realize it or not, your, your life is a story. Think about it. Every day there's a beginning, there's an end, there's action in between, there's a setting, um, there's a theme. Every situation, every circumstance, you are writing the book of your life. And not only are you reading it, but everyone around you is reading it as well. You have a story to tell. You have a story to tell, and I'm going to tell a story of a couple of people in Scripture this morning, but before I do, there are a couple of things I want you to know about your story. There are a couple of things I want you to understand, because if we don't process this correctly, we'll think that what Jesus has done for us, who we once were versus who we are now, is something to be ashamed of. It's something that we keep to ourselves. But that's not the case at all. Your life is a story, and stories are meant to be told. Really quickly, I want to tell you three things about your story. The first one is this. Your story is history. Your story is history. Isaiah 43, verse 25 
God says, I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and never think of them again. I think it's interesting that God says, I will blot out your sins for my own sake. He doesn't say for your own sake, although it's, it's, a, it's a benefit to you that you're sin free. Why was it for his own sake? Because he wants to be with you. He wanted the wall of separation between you and him torn down. He said, so I'm going to forgive their sins for my sake so that I can be with the people that I love. It says, I will blot out your sins and never think of them again. To blot or to wipe out here in the Hebrew language, it means to obliterate or to exterminate. Now, to obliterate means to completely destroy and to exterminate. Well, you guys know because you probably have an exterminator come to your house every once in a while, right? You don't like, you don't like bugs around your house? No? So you get an exterminator. Now, this word blot out, it does not mean to cover up like with whiteout or something. It means to completely get rid of. You don't want the exterminator coming to your house and covering up the bugs. You want to obliterate those, those dudes, Right? Get rid of them completely. And this is what God has done with your sin. Guys, I know it's hard to believe, but God has forgotten your past. If you are in Christ, if you have surrendered your heart to the Lord, if you've placed yourself in Christ and Christ in you, it's hard to believe but you don't have any sin. Now, do you still sin? Yes, you do. I do too. We all do. Scripture says, 1 John, that if anyone says that they don't sin, they deceive themselves. So you sin, but you're no longer a sinner. Why? Because God has forgiven you. He is not only forgiven you, he's forgotten. He says, I will blot out their sins for my own sake and I will never think of them again. You know, God doesn't think of your past sins. Too many of us spend in our prayer time, we're reminding God of sins he's already forgotten. Why would you do that? If I offend someone and I've messed up, it's happened, and I'm like, I'm embarrassed of what I did or whatever, I don't bring it up to them every time I see them. Why would you do that with God? He's desperately trying to forget what he's forgiven, and you keep reminding him. Don't do that. You know, 1 John also, chapter 1, verse 9, it says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, God doesn't treat you like you're dirty if you've been clean. You don't do this, do you? Someone, someone, so, someone yeah, takes a shower and is all cleaned up and smells all good. You don't go, oh, you're nasty. Get away from me. No, you don't treat clean people like they're dirty. Neither does God. If you're in Christ and Christ is in you, if you've surrendered your heart to him, if your life is not your own anymore, it belongs to him. Guys, your story is history. You don't need to labor under the weight of your past. You're forgiven. Not only are you forgiven, you're cleansed. And God treats you like you're cleansed. Amen? So that means not only is your story history, but your story is ministry. 
Once you've been forgiven, once you've gotten clean and cleansed from your former life, now something really cool happens. Now you get to take what the enemy meant for evil and use it for good. You get to pass along the lessons learned. You get to pass along the peace, the comfort, and the healing that you received from the Lord regarding your past. And you get to give it to other people. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 3 through 4. I love this. It says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles. Now pay attention. This is important. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. See, the lessons that you've learned can bring healing to someone dealing with a similar situation. See, again, we, we, and I've mentioned this recently, we think that when we give in the world, when we give something away, we no longer have it, right? But in the kingdom... Like the comfort of the Holy Spirit is the example being used here. When God gives you comfort, you give it away, you still have it. It's not, God's love, God's mercy, His forgiveness, His grace, it's not an exhaustible resource. It's inexhaustible, it goes on forever. And when you give it to someone else, you still have it. And in the same way, we give away the comfort, the, the forgiveness, the cleansing, the mercy, the grace, the goodness that we've experienced from God. We give it away to others. We get to give it away from, from what's happened in our heart to someone else. See, your story is ministry, and for some of you, the enemy has convinced you that because of what you've done in your past, that you're, you're not qualified to talk about God. Well, that would make me a hypocrite. No, it wouldn't. No, it's the exact opposite. I've heard it said before, that go, going, not going to church because of the hypocrites is like not going to gym because of all, uh, all the out-of-shape people. I mean, that's where we all need to be, right? Right, right. Not being perfect and being at church is an admission that you need help. It's not going to church doesn't mean you think you're perfect. Look, your story is ministry. Whatever you've been through, whatever you're going through, your testimony, your story, it's unique. It's powerful. Use it. Use it. Your past can help someone's future if you use it. The third thing I want you to know about your story is that your story is incomplete. This is really important. Your story is incomplete. Well, whatever you've gone through, whatever you're going through, it's not the end of your story. God is still working in you and through you. He's he's the author and perfecter. He's the finisher of our faith. And, and so, so it's so important that we understand that, that this moment in time, whatever level of victory you have over sin in your life or, or victory over a past bad decision that you have, it's just momentary right now because there's more story to be written. Your story is incomplete. It's not over yet. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Verses 8 and 9, he goes, we are oppressed on every side by trouble. That's not the end of the verse. 
But he starts it out saying, we are oppressed on every side by trouble. He goes, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. Like, have you ever been perplexed? Like, what in the world's going on? God, what are you doing? Right? What, what's happening? Well, Paul had been that, that, that way as well. Because we, we are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down. Ooh, I don't think any of us have been hunted down for our faith yet. We're hunted down. Someone goes, yet. Yeah. Uh, we're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. See, when you stop short of finishing a story, you come away with a wrong conclusion. It's really important. This is why we don't judge other people, by the way. Because they're in the middle of their story. And now we can judge actions, just for the record. People get confused on this. It's okay to say sin is sin, by the way. We can judge actions and say this action is wrong. We don't judge people. We don't say that person is a bad person because they can always repent, right? It's necessary to judge actions, but we don't judge people. This is why we don't judge people, though, because their story is incomplete. They're still writing it. They're still in the middle of it. Could you imagine if you're reading scripture, reading the story of Jesus, you read about the crucifixion, and then you stop? You don't get to the resurrection? You have, you have a, a misunderstanding of who Jesus was and the life that he lived and why he came. You've got to read the whole story. And look, I, I, know, I know there are people in your life that drive you crazy, but their story's not over yet. Your story's not over yet either. And we've got, we've got to deal with people and ourselves in this truth. So your story is history, your story is ministry, and your story is incomplete. So what I want to talk about for the rest of the time today is the concept of writing while you're waiting. Writing while you're waiting. Writing your story while you're waiting on stuff. How many of you absolutely hate waiting like me? Yeah? Yep. I'm the same way. Uh, Tiff and the kids are always making fun of They'll be here second service. Uh, always making fun of me. I, I didn't even realize. So we were traveling this last week. Uh, we went uh, to, to Montana uh, with our family and just had a blast, had a great time. Uh, there are few instances when I just get out of my mind impatient. Um, and I've, told, I've talked to you guys about traffic. Y'all know about that. I've talked to you about the lines of grocery stores. The, the other place where I just get frantically impatient is at airports. I just, everyone's in my way. And I don't want them there. You know what I mean? I just, I'm not saying this is right. I'm not saying this is good. I'm just saying this is how it is right now because I'm still writing my story, okay? But, but it's just, I, Tiffany told me, I had no idea. She was like, yeah, you know, you were, you were about to go up you know, in, in Atlanta, the airport, and you ride the little tram, and you go to all the different, and, and it's, just, it's, a, it's just a mess of people, right? And you're trying to get to where you're going, and, and on the way there, we, were, we had like very short layovers. We had like just, like we walked up to the gate and started boarding. It was that kind of deal, uh, which was awesome. But evidently, Tiffany told me, I didn't even see, but I totally stepped in front of a kid and, and like totally, <laughs> like I, on the way to that, I was like, yeah, I was just trying to get to where I was going. I didn't mean to, right? 
I, I, this is one of the areas where the Lord's working with me uh, when it comes to waiting and being patient. Waiting, waiting. One time, I, I don't think I've told this story in a while. When Eva, she was not even one years old, she decided it'd be a good idea to climb out of her crib and break her arm in two places. I know, it was great. It was a good time. And so, so we, so we, uh, so, you know, we, we, we took her to the doctor. She had a, her, her, like her arm, her cast was bigger than the rest of her body. She was dragging along like, like a primate. It was hilarious. Um, so, so it was time to get the cast off. And so I, for whatever reason, so I took time off of work and, and, and took her to go get the cast off. And so I'm waiting. This is a one-year-old. Okay, you remember one-year-olds? You got one-year-olds? Okay, they don't do so well in waiting rooms, right? Especially when they have casts on their arm. And so we wait 15 minutes. Okay, 15 minutes, cool. We wait 30 minutes. Okay, what's going on? We wait 45 minutes. And finally in an hour, I go up to the window. I'm like, okay, look. I know it's not your fault specifically, and I'm not mad at you. But we need to talk about why I'm waiting here with a one-year-old who has a cast on her arm for over an hour. What's going on? She's like, I'm so sorry. The doctor got called into, uh, into emergency surgery. I'm like, here's the thing. I understand that that sort of stuff happens, but what if, I know it's crazy, write this down. What if you told me? And I could have taken her to go get ice cream. I'd leave you my cell phone number. You could call me. <sighs> so a little impatient sometimes. One of the hardest lessons for Christians to learn is how to stand strong during the uncertain time between a promise and its fulfillment, right? You know God's promised something. You're believing for healing. You're believing for a breakthrough. You're believing for, for some sort of financial victory. You're, you're believing for the salvation of a loved one. You're believing for something. And then there's that tension, that time of waiting in between the promise and its fulfillment. I want to share with you real quick the story of two people who have been waiting a long time on Jesus. This is the story of Simeon and Anna. Uh, two characters, they're, they're, uh, they're not often mentioned. Uh, if you do hear them, usually it's going to be around Christmas time. But let me just read this to you. It's Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 40. It says this, Eight days later, when the baby, that's Jesus, was circumcised, he was named Jesus the name given to him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Just a side note, just so you know. Actually, that wasn't the sacrifice required. The sacrifice required was a lamb, but there was a concession for people who didn't have very much stuff. And the concession was what we read here. Um, that it was a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And that's what Mary and Joseph gave because they didn't have a lamb because they were from Nazareth. They were from a little tiny town. They weren't bigwigs. They didn't have important names. No one knew who they were. So all that they had was, were those two birds. Verse 25, at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. This is the first people who are going to teach us about waiting. First of two. 
There's a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout, and he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and it revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, the implication here is that he was very old. So he knew he wouldn't die until he saw the Messiah, but he was like, Lord, you better hurry up because I'm getting on up there, okay? Verse 27, that day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. He was really old. He's like, can I die now, please, Lord? Okay. Sovereign Lord, let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I've seen your salvation, which you prepared for the people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Verse 33, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about them. Why? Because no one knew. He had just been born. The only people that had been tipped off at all that this was the Messiah was Mary and Joseph themselves. Right? And all of a sudden, here this guy, Simeon, is like, this is him. This is the one. Right? So Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said. Verse 34, then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. He was, he was telling Mary, hey, look, this is not, you're not going to like how this ends, just so you know. Jesus was born to die. Verse 36, here's the other person. Anna, right after Simeon, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years, and she lived as a widow to the age of 84. Women in this age got uh, this culture, got married very early, 13, 14, 15. So she would have been in her younger 20s, early 20s, when her husband passed away, and now she's 86, and the whole time she'd spent praying and fasting and worshiping in the temple. She just dedicated her life. After her husband died, she dedicated her life to the Lord. Verse, uh, she, yeah, she never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. Verse 38, she came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising, praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who'd been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. When when Jesus' parents had fulfilled the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth and Galilee. There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. So we have two people who had been waiting a very long time. They had been promised something from God. Simeon specifically had been promised, hey, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. Anna had, had, had just decided, hey, I'm just going to hang out in church. This is my life now. This is what I'm going to do. It's really important. When you're faced with the tension between God's promise and the receiving of that promise, it's really important that there are two things that you should not do while you're waiting. You will be tempted, and the first one is to change your theology. To change what you think about God because of what's happening in your circumstances. 
See, when people don't see the reality of what Scripture promises, whether that's healing, whether that's someone's salvation, whether that's whatever, sometimes they tend to change their theology to line up with their experience instead of to line up with what the Word says. We have to be careful that we don't do that. This is why we hear things that are unbiblical, but phrases like, you never know what God's going to do. Well, actually, he, he wrote it down. You have to read it. No, no, there's specifics that are left out. I, I know that. But, like, you can understand the general direction of God's will, right? But, but we say, well, you never know what God's going to do. Well, okay, read it, right? And, and if it's not in the written word, it'll be in the spoken word. If you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. Scripture says he wants to reveal the mysteries of God to you. Uh, the, the, the Lord works in mysterious ways. You know that's not a scripture? It's not in the Bible. Now, sometimes God does stuff that we don't understand. I'm not saying that we know everything about God. If so, he wouldn't be a very good God if we knew everything like he did, right? But, but this idea, well, you just don't. See, that's, a lot of this is the result of people changing their theology because of their circumstances. We don't need to do that. We don't change our theology because of our circumstances. We wait on God to change our circumstances because of our theology, James chapter 1, 16 through 18 says, Don't be misled, dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father. He created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Do you know you were God's prized possession? You know, you probably have a prized possession. And you take care of it, don't you? So wouldn't God take care of you since Scripture says you are his prized possession? Right. So look, when your environment, when your circumstances, when life doesn't line up like the Word says, don't change what the Word says. Change what your life looks like. Right? And begin to, begin to wait expectantly and continue to write your story while you're waiting. Here's the other thing that people do that we should not do is to get mad, get offended, get hurt, get disappointed in God. I mean, this happens, right? It's tempting when things don't go the way that we want to be like, all right, well, you know what, God? I tithe, but evidently that doesn't matter to you. I go to church all the time, Lord. Right? I mean, sometimes we feel, let's be honest, let's be honest. Sometimes we feel entitled. Those of us that have been Christians a long time, and we, we're, we've been doing our best for a while. I mean, we're perfect, but man, we kind of know how to do this whole Christian thing. And then something happens the way we don't want it to happen. We're like, God, do you know who I am? <laughs> right? I mean, come on. Look, don't ever let your circumstances skew your perception of who God is and what he's like. He's good. He is good. Acts 14, 21 through 22. This is so funny to me. After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers and encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them, you would think, in strengthening and encouraging the believers, you think it would say here, reminding them that God loves them and has a good plan for their life. That's true. But look how they strengthened and encouraged the believers. 
They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Ah, man. I don't like that verse. I don't like that verse. See, here's the deal. I actually read an article, a friend sent it to me a couple days ago, that charismatics, that's you, by the way, people who believe that God still moves, speaks, and does stuff today, because he does, we actually have the hardest time during times of trouble. During times of persecution, when things don't go the way we want them to, we struggle the most. You know why? Because we're used to seeing God move. We believe that God moves. But then when he doesn't in the way or in the timing that we expect him to, we sometimes get a little bit out of shape. And so it's really important. As your pastor, I would be a bad shepherd if I didn't warn you according to Scripture and say, look, you don't always get what you want when you want. You don't. Doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Doesn't mean you even did anything wrong. It just means that you don't always get what you want. So how do we keep writing while we're waiting? Let me share two verses with you real quick. How do we keep writing while we're waiting? We're writing our story even when we're waiting. Well, we do what Anna and Simeon did. Where were they? In the temple. What were they doing? Prayer and praise. They were in the temple. Even though they were waiting on an unfulfilled promise, they were praying and they were praising anyway. Prayer is the point of contact with your father during a season of waiting. You know, sometimes we think prayer is making demands on God, but in reality, it's making conversation with God. God is a relational being. He loves you, he wants to be with you, and so he's given you the tool of prayer so that you can come to him, talk to him freely, even when life is not how you want it to be. What a great gift. What a great gift. Prayer and praise. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 18 is, is a really cool verse. It says, no longer will violent, this is a prophetic declaration over the people of Israel after the Messiah has come. Okay, just so you know where we are in scripture. No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Now, what is a gate? A gate is an entry point. A gate is connected to some sort of fence or wall or some sort of barrier where otherwise you couldn't get in, but when there's a gate, you can now get in, right? And so he says, the scripture says that your gates are called praise. See, our praise and worship serves as a gate or an entry point for the spiritual realm to invade the natural realm. When we praise, worship is literally warfare, where we're opening up the heavens through worship where heaven can come down and change our surroundings. Isn't that awesome? Revelation 21, 21. It talks about New Jerusalem. It describes what New Jerusalem, the heavenly city, looks like. It says, the 12 gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl. Now, follow the symbolism here for, for a minute, because... I, Probably in heaven, they're not going to be literal, big, huge pearls that we're going to walk through, right? It, the, these, things are, these things are symbolic. They have meaning. So what's the meaning? What's a pearl? A pearl is formed through irritation and conflict. A piece of sand or something else gets inside of an oyster shell, and a pearl forms around it. And then we wear them on our neck, like, hey, look at this oyster weird thing that happened. Isn't it pretty? <laughs> 
See, when we praise God without manipulation, in spite of our uncertainty, even through our irritation, even through our conflict, something beautiful forms, and it's a gate. A pearl becomes a gate. It's an entry point where God can move in your situation. You know, I mentioned this when we talked about heaven last year. You know, there's one type of praise and worship that you can do now that you won't be able to do when you're in heaven. There's something, there's a way you can honor God now that you'll never be able to do once you go to heaven. And that's to praise through your pain. Because in heaven there won't be any pain. And you can't worship him in spite of your pain when you're in heaven. But you can do that now. You can continue writing your story even when, those, even when there's a lull. Even when you're waiting. You can continue your relationship with the Lord. So what story are you writing while you wait? If someone were reading the book of your life and you're in a lull, and you're in a, 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 a season where things aren't going exactly the way you want them to, would the story go, and they quit? Or would your story read, and they persevered, and they praised through the pain, and they utilized prayer to draw near to the Father instead of run from the Father? What would your story say? Guys, this church... I haven't updated you guys in a while on our building project. You know why? Because there's nothing going on, and I'm really impatient about it. We're hung up in permitting. Um, we had one of our major contractors pull their bid that we, were, that, we were pointing, that we were banking on, and so we're just kind of in a waiting stage. We all join me in praying. We all join me in praying that the Lord moves in that situation. Will you join me in praising the Lord anyway, and saying, my peace, my joy is not based on a building, is not based on a subcontractor, it's not based on a permit, it's based on the goodness of God. I'm right here. I'm right here. This is where I am. I'm I'm attempting to continue to write a good story while I wait, because I don't like waiting. I'm going to do it anyway. And I want you to do that with me. I want you to pray, whether it's our, pro, our building project, I want you to pray for whatever's going on in your life, the breakthrough that you need in your life, in your family's life, in a church family member's life. Come on, let's not quit. Let's not give up. Let's pray through. Let's worship through it. And let's continue writing our story even when we're waiting. Amen? Let's stand for prayer. Close your eyes for a moment. Ask the Lord this question. What am I writing? What's the story of my life look like? What's the response that you feel as soon as you ask that to the Lord? I'd love to lead you in a prayer.
where we give God permission. We do this every week where we give God permission to, to, to help us in this area of our lives. If you will, pray this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving me a story to tell. I recognize that my story is history and my story is ministry. So I give it to you. And Father, I give you permission to encourage me to continue writing when I'm waiting. Whatever that's going on around me, I give it to you and I draw near to you as you draw near to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening to the VFC podcast. If you live in the Thomasville area, we would love for you to connect with us in person. For more information about our weekly gatherings, including service times and directions, just visit us at vfcthomasville.org.